Welcome to Search for Meaning. I'm Yoshi Zweibach. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Veronica Zweibach. Full disclosure, she is my niece. Also, a very talented singer, songwriter. We're going to get to hear one of her original compositions, learn about her journey in music, and also about her own self discovery in terms of gender. A warning this podcast includes some explicit language, so you might want to put on some headphones if you have little ones around. Stay tuned and be inspired. Well, Ronnie's why back. My beloved niece, I've known you since basically you were born. The beginning. And it's been great uh, having you visit us here in Los Angeles. And you're about to fly back to New York. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your music and maybe twist your arm. I know it's hard. Twist your arm to sing a song, something you're working Uh. on. Um, but you came out you to twist LA. It hard. Yes, I know. You came out to LA to record with friends. Tell me, what's your earliest memory of writing music? Okay, oh, I love that because I think a lot of them will come out, and you'll for, you'll forget, as I'm sure you know and have experienced in your adulthood, that like things will things that seem insignificant to you or that you are totally dormant to you will come back, and it'll be like so. So the first memory I have. And I, uh, I think I can remember the melody if you like. If I really think back, I was probably like eight. I really can't put an age on it though. But the first memory I have of putting a pen to paper and writing a song, it was like, um, there. I had this. I had this alter ego name, and this is, this is so precious and like, uh, cute. Thinking back now, it was so telling. I would. It was like a girl. It was my name backwards, which was Nora, because my birth, my name at birth was Aaron, and so it was like backwards and I would spell it with two A's and I just spelled my name backwards for the middle and last name of the artist name which was written on the page I remember that I remember like my handwriting at that age and I was like oh damn that's people are gonna really that's really gonna be a mind boggler do you remember being aware of that like oh I created an alter ego that's female. I mean, at, no. so at that point, that's just one of, it's not like that was really like a huge formative thing. Like, again, this is a dormant thing that came back to me. Also, it was just like my name back. I was like, what is the moniker here? I think it's just about monikers. And I think that's genderless. Like, sure, when it's a girly one, it's like, oh, yo, that's part of my gender dream because I'm not being treated like a girl or whatever. But I feel like it's gender, like there were, it could be anyone. I feel like there's always this cycle as an artist, especially for songwriters, where there's this pressure to have an alter ego or a moniker. And so you're often just playing with identity through your songwriting where it's like different parts of yourself. Um, And that's also one thing Greta talks about all the time because she's had a million different monikers. And I kind of have too, especially when you're a young songwriter, that's like the thing, you know, you like write out band names in cool fonts. When did you come up with Safrani, was that? Um, That's all, damn, I'm really talking about her. That's also because of her, but it, it was a thing that I had forgotten was because of her and took, not took credit for it, but started using Safrani at shows when I was like 16. Uh, yeah, but I think that at the time, so Ronnie was, had I'd been dubbed that and it just like stuck and I never really chose, but which was just like all my friends started calling me that because 
of a few musicians actually. One is Greta because she used to sing the name Ronnie a lot about a different Ronnie. And I was a fan of hers at the time. I was like a little fan girl. And she was like our favorite artist. And all my friends would geek out about Frankie Cosmos, her band. And then um, she would just be singing Ronnie and we would all be like, oh my God, that's crazy because- uh, Because that was your nickname. That was my nickname. And also um, it was the person it was about was shortening Aaron to Ronnie in the same way that I was at that time if that makes sense so it was just kind of like uncanny and we just thought it was really cute and then we she would write these really sparse like special home recordings or like produce these songs and just post them everything you would hear it and so I think that we would hear it and then be like singing her songs high in my room at 16 and we're just like oh my god it's so beautiful and then also another band sings Ronnie a lot about Ronnie Spector um who rest in peace who was really influential to me like just her story in general but also um her musical work and her story with phil Spector and like male producers absolutely like emotionally um t- taking advantage of and abusing young talented girls like ronnie specter uh abandoned phoenix wrote a whole album about her and like kind of a concept album dedicated to her experience with Phil Spector and they sing if you ever try to leave me I'll find you Ronnie and they sing that over and over again because Phil was imprisoning her basically like emotionally financially physically to some extent in their home for years and so we would just be like screaming that and then it just there's this weird like universal we were like Ronnie 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 like why is Ronnie coming back but now I go by Veronica the band is soft Ronnie or Ron yeah which is like short for Veronica too which is the other reason this is also funny is that for Ronnie Spector it's short for um like Ronica and then for uh when Greta and I were singing it as kids. It was for Aaron, like Air Ronnie. So there's this weird thing there. So there's this whole combination yeah. connection. What yeah. was uh, you? You talked about that song you wrote when you were eight. What was in terms yeah. of sort of your your first kind of fully realized composition where you and maybe it's something that you continue to do today. What was what was one of those? And maybe I could convince you to to play a little bit of it. Sort of, you know, your first, because yeah. like we have these moments where we're creating, but then you have something where you're like, I wrote a song. That's a song. Yeah, yeah. What, what was what was one of your, not necessarily even the first, but one of your earliest? Yeah. So that one, again, the pen, the paper, first memory, I think it, where the, it was like Nora Fessage could be with was the name because it was Aaron Joseph's Why Back Backwards. Um, Nora Fessage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it would be her Pessage. Yeah, but, but that, in my child brain, I, I remember I didn't notice that until later, and it made me really sad because I was like, oh, her Pessage doesn't sound like it could be a likely middle name. Right. But when it was Fessage, it phonetically. So earned. Nora Fessage. Kabuis. 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 And I also named one of my friends a little little sisters when she was born because they were asking for baby names and I was like do Nora because it's Aaron backwards shout out to Nora beautiful little child so what was that song okay yeah so I go uh I just have this like I remember writing it out I remember all the lyrics at all I don't think I've found it since then it's only been in my brain maybe my mom has it somewhere uh but I just remember don't I can't sing it right now with that like I I just remember the melody don't forget about you, forget about, or don't forget about me, forget about you. 
I was probably listening like a ton of Britney Spears. That's the only line I know, but it like did that a lot. Right, and that right. melody, da 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 which is so funny. Anyway, I didn't, I don't think I really remembered that until like four years ago or something. And I was like, oh, whoa. You should go back and do something with that. It's really good. It's a really good hook. It's yeah. better than I right now. Now I'm yeah. too like weird, but that was a good pop hook right there. Right. right. Um, when you say weird, is that part of what makes it indie and, you know, mm. alt and like, yeah. like how would you characterize, uh, not that you should put your music in a, in a box or something like that, but how do you characterize yeah. your music? I would say alternative singer songwriter, uh, you know, it's typically ideally in my mind, it's a full band outfit and it's a project. It's not like. It's not, I don't think I've soft Ronnie like as, as my solo project, although currently like I don't have a drummer performing with me. I've had a ton of friends playing drums or bass and working on soft Ronnie in the past. I also moved this year, so it's like it takes different forms, but I would describe it as like uh, maybe sad rock, like singer songwriter, guitar guitar music, like a you know someone's playing guitar and singing songs. There. Right. Uh, I guess it's all yeah. In indie, people say that. Um, like maybe some, what is it? Anti-folk? That's a label. That I feel like that's a very like DIY scene. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know if my music is really what that means, but that's definitely a label I've heard thrown around about singer-songwriters, like a lot of K-Records bands and a lot of um, early DIY alt-rock bands from like the 90s and 2000s. So DIY means that you literally are doing it yourself. You've got yeah. a laptop, you've got a couple microphones. And yeah. You're producing everything, but also releasing it. There's no label. God, it's, yeah, it's yeah. you. Yeah, and it can also be about a lot more than music. It can be like it's you know, the, and I think that's why sometimes people dub it the DIY scene instead of specifically saying like their music or show circuit because it's kind of like also the practice of all these event planning and people making merchandise and zines and graphic novels and art fair you know so like DIY, the diy scene can be a lot of different a lot of it is like the grunge and punk scene and a lot of uh like queer scenes are really attached to it um you know jeffrey lewis daniel johnston a lot of those early uh artists who i think for my generation being introduced to that like in middle or high school is always really uh impactful because it's kind of the first time you're hearing people just making these like like I mean, this decade, people are calling it bedroom pop or bedroom rock, where it's like you're doing it in your bedroom. I mean, that's how I make my demos and stuff. Um, and you then have a, a little studio in the corner of your bedroom, basically. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I feel like, um, I mean, the idea for me is collaboration and taking that further eventually. But I think a lot of us and a lot of bands have got of these alt rock bands my friends and I were fond of growing up, like, have gone on to become notable and stuff. But it often starts in, like, the DIY scene, which I think... Uh, it's funny that it's a, a, a label that I think so many of us are so used to using and are familiar with, but is actually like very esoteric, you know, in this community and like not something that most people would be like DIY music. Like, what do you mean? Um, yeah. So, um, can you play something you're working on now or, I can. or something recent? It doesn't have to be like a, a something in, in process, but sure. uh, maybe a recent composition. Let's do it. I'll play a recent one. Okay. And you can tell us if this is something that, uh, you know, ideally you'd have, like, the band. Ideally but... we'd have the band. Yeah, I, um, I love playing solo, and I love, you know, even if you're not currently playing solo, I love having songs that are, like, solo um, ones and full bands. Um, I like mixing it up. But this one, ideally, yeah, I would have to... 
drums and bass and stuff. Um, it's called, can you feel that, Rumplin'.
Thank you. Thank you. Those uh, really, really, I wish you could all see that because um, the chord progressions are really beautiful to watch. And uh, you need to have some serious stretch going on there because yeah the, you go the, to, this was a ball buster josh this this it's a this big guitar, guitar. well it's and the actually it's like it's a healthy thick string right yeah. there <laughs> no it sounded really cool but just oh, watching you. you um do some of those chords now are those um you're mostly self-taught right you you didn't yeah. have a lot yeah. of i mean in some ways obviously you know you are the child of I'm not gonna I'll put my brother aside for a second because he's a wonderful musical musician. Genius. But you are like you your mother is one of the uh, greatest musicians in the world. Truly, that's not oh. an exaggeration. Oh. Uh, Kimberly oh. Marshall, um, one of the most uh, world-renowned organists. Um, did did that yes. some of that you think come through growing up? And then uh, yes. your dad, my brother, is a fantastic guitarist and drummer and plays bass and um, shout out. But how did how did that happen? Did you have a lot of uh, did you do piano as a kid? I did. So I definitely struggled a lot with uh, the Apollonian versus the Dionysian as far as like art teaching and lessons went as a kid. I did violin, uh, cello, classical guitar, and piano at different times when I was a kid, like in a class with a teacher. But I was a little resistant to like formal pedagogy and. I had a really hard time reading sheet music. It's like, I, you know, a lot of children and people in general have like very different brains and computing and learning, it's like certain types of learning are uh, easier and more comfortable for some than others. And that I, oh my God, reading sheet music was so stressful for me. Like easy stuff is one thing, but when it gets like really complex. Uh, and so Kim was definitely shown through in that, or like in my childhood musically a lot, but I kind of think at first I was a little, insecure about music in general and then it was really the DIY scene and like songwriters who really showed me the way as far as like embracing the way you learn instead and writing poetry instead and learning guitar that way uh, but I did take classical guitar and stuff and all of this I think like having Kim as mama bear was huge because she like worked at in the music departments at the colleges and schools and stuff and like um definitely you got me violin lessons when I was a kid. And I remember I had this thing where I'd like kind of obsess or like fantas not obsessed, but like fantasize about some instrument thinking it was cool and then try it and be like, hey, I'm so stupid. I'm so just so stupid and like I can't do it. But then being self-taught, like even cello now I've taken up again, um, not very, you know, again, not very like music theoretically, but I, ha I have an electric cello and really have been working on writing soft writing songs on that, which I'm very excited oh, that's about. Cool. That's been a dream for a while. Had to, uh, get the Cecilio brand electric cello from like, last year's model. Very gorgeous. I'm so excited to, um, wow. I didn't have that here when recording with friends, but um, I do have that. And I, yeah, again, that's another thing. When I was a kid, I mean, it's not that I hated cello, but I cried in class a couple of times because I was just like the pressure of the orchestra and reading sheet music and like every day being among all the other musicians. And I really like hold up musically for a few years. Um, even when and there's not an openness to like improvisation and like, well, how do yeah. you want to interpret this? Like, no, you have to play the music. The sheet written, music. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. But then when you're composing <laughs> and creating your own sounds and, you know, just using your ear to say, ooh, I like this, this delights me. And yeah. or this is there's a certain way this chord 
there's a dissonance that I like, and it and it connects to the lyric that mm-hmm. I'm trying to. You know, you're talking about bumps on your tongue. You know, it's like okay, what's the chord that's going to make that work? Because that's a very right. specific lyric, right? Uh, um, yeah. So in terms of your yeah yeah uh, in terms of your musical journey, how does that map onto your journey and sort sort of discovering yourself in terms of gender? Mm. Like, are these yeah. things? Do you see these as being complementary? Parallel? Yeah. Like, how does that work? Totally. Oh yeah, great question. Um, and I love, like you said, like we discussed earlier, like the idea of a moniker. Just in my case, whether it's like a little boy with a like thinking about a girl's name or whatever, or just genderlessly in general, or like, or the opposite, or like me now, I mean, Greta is like Franklin, like Franklin Cosmos. Like, I feel like that, she was always doing that. Oh, we Greta both- Greta Franklin, meaning that's she, a like, moniker? Of her is like, like, I feel like we both played with gender in different ways. Sometimes she was Ingrid, superstar, or like these different names that I was sometimes like, what are some of mine? Uh, I'll have to think of that. But, uh, you know, hers was often a masculine one and she was socialized or raised like as a girl. Um, and we both play around with gender a lot. And I think that in my music also, whether it be like lyrically or just the moniker aspect, um, can be such a good expression, not just of like gender or like your transition or whatever, but, but just generally of like expression and like expressing the, what you've gone through um, and accepting that and like delving into it, which I think is a great metaphor for what, you know, a gender journey, I guess, of like transition feels like, is like refusing to smother that any longer and instead express it. And so I think like, um, yeah, I mean, definitely like, what are some names? I mean, Soft Ronnie, I guess, like is kind of a gender neutral name, but lyrically, I think there's so much stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Barry overtly talks about I don't know if I ever specifically say trans or anything, but I definitely talk a lot about shift and metamorphosis in one's identity in a way that sometimes I'm not consciously talking about something going on right now in my life that is related to gender or being like femme or a woman. Um, but, but later on I'll be like, Oh my God, that sounds like, I think there's a lot of great metaphors in the idea of like absconding from your assigned gender path, whatever that is supposed to look like. Um, I think it's like a really great metaphor. So often I'll just be singing about like a path or a emotional revelation or a metamorphosis. So like discovery can be something yeah. that's very universal because we yeah. all are on journeys of discovery, but then there's something very mm. specific. For you, yeah. you know, are there, is there like a, is there a moment or is it sort of like always that you felt like, oh wow, the gender assigned to me yeah. at birth is it's, not, like there was a mix uh, up. Yeah, it's such a hard question because it's like, obviously I'm very curious about that too for myself and, and other people, but honestly it's just so semantic and difficult to really express or to um, take, I think it's like to take the question head on because I don't know, like I felt something always that was ge- gender variant Definitely. But honestly, even now, do I really feel any more certain of anything? I'm, I'm like, yeah, sure, I was just as certain then. But also, I wasn't, you know, there's a, now, a, as an adult, like, girl, there's, like, a, uh, a biological, ed, or, th- sorry, there's, like, a, you know, accessing hormones aspect to it. So that part, no, I definitely wasn't aware of that. I definitely wasn't thinking about that when I was younger, and I know trans girls who were. So for me, Specifically, I think the best way to answer is to like provide different examples. So my example would definitely be that it was more fluid and complex for me. I definitely didn't think about transitioning for myself 
honestly, I don't even know if I knew what like that looked like or hormone replacement therapy looked like for a lot of trans girls. But, um, but yeah, at some age, I do, or at, to some extent, I do feel at my youngest is when I was kind of my most trans in my childhood, and then definitely through puberty, I kind of like reworked that. And even now, like after going through puberty with like e puberty estrogen type the other route uh because it is kind of like the second or like experiencing the other end of that stick um i think like i definitely feel yeah i think i definitely now feel like i would experiment in the other way where i can like be like the women in my life who aren't didn't grow up the way i did or who aren't trans women like they don't express themselves in this hyper feminine way most of the time even if they're viewed as like them. So I think now I'm really interested in letting myself present the way girls in my life present, like, and a lot of them are tomboys, or gay, or straight, regardless, a lot of them, I mean, maleness is kind of, like, neutralized and seen as, like, the default, so when a woman, or cis or trans, or whatever, or, sorry, when a cis woman presents as, like, masculine, it's seen as just kind of, like, we don't really bat an eye at it societally, but when you're trans feminine, it can be really difficult to try to, you know, feel safe in presenting yourself femininely without, like, looking really femme. Um, well, and also, yeah. you know, it seems like what I'm hearing you say is finding this this journey of discovery. Like, you know, who am I yeah. and how do I want to express myself? And also knowing that that's dynamic, you know, like, you're going to continue to change and grow and become in some ways, hopefully we all are on this journey of becoming our best self, our truest self, discovering, yeah. oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know that there was a study that I read a few years ago about they, a longitudinal study where they asked people in their early 30s, you know, do you feel like you have matured and grown since you were in your early 20s? And to a person, they said, of course, yes, in the last 10 years, you know, I've learned so much. Uh -huh. But then they asked, and do you think that the person you are right now is sort of like the person you will be. Like you've, okay, now I have become, you know? Mm -hmm. And most people when they interviewed them said, yes, yes. But then 10 years later, they asked them the same question again. And they went, oh no, you know, I've grown so much in the last 10 years. But then again, yeah. they'd say, so and now in your 40s, are you sort of the person that you're meant to become? Oh yes. So the idea is yeah, like, yeah. can we be mm. more aware of the fact that we are on a journey of becoming and mm -hmm. realizing that, so I'm 53, like who I am right now, I haven't figured it all out. I'm gonna continue to grow. There's certain things I feel like, yeah, boy, I didn't understand that 20 years ago, but now yeah. I kind of do. But then I've gotta have the humility to know that 20 years from now, if you know I'm still around, God willing, I'll look back on this moment and be like, oh, you know, I thought I had it all figured out and dialed exactly. in, but I didn't. So, yeah. and that's true in, you know, in our spirituality, that's true in music, that's true in terms of understanding who we are as, in terms of gender, you know, yeah. in terms of our sexuality, whatever that is. So, yeah, we're all sort of giving ourselves that permission that like, I'm going to continue to figure this out. It's good. It's a good thing. It's actually a better thing, but I think we're taught to kind of feel like it's shaky ground and unstable, or it's a bad thing. But really, I think that by denying it, I think it, is the, the bad thing like you have to let yourself um learn and grow and also be easier on yourself i think a lot of this is about like just accepting things and realizing that it's not a blight on other people and that it's actually a beautiful thing about yourself and also like um 
yeah, I mean, like you said, everyone does this, and I, I, I feel like even there's so much common ground that we can all empathize with each other and learn from, and just like accept that the other person is like human with a little bit of God inside us all, and is going to like grow too and get better, and not try to like not try to contain that so right. much because of fear and like. Um, how do you? How do you yeah, let me ask you about that fear. How do you, how do you understand that? Because, um, you know. My sense is in conversations that I've had with you over the years that in terms of your family um, and lots of people close to you, you know, tremendous support, tremendous acceptance, tremendous love. Mm -hmm. But you also know and are more keenly aware than than most, I'm sure, that there are lots of people, hopefully not the majority of people out there in our in our country and in our world, but there are people out there. I was just listening uh, today to a podcast that was talking about, you know, don't say gay legislation in certain parts of the country. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, uh, we don't want any pronouns happening in our schools, those kinds no of pronouns. things. Can, and uh, sort of like, no one can say a pronoun, guys. They yeah. don't want you to say a pronoun. We're getting rid of pronouns. But, you know, and so like, how do you make sense of that? Because Obviously, for some people, that's more theoretical. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that's like, no, this is my life. This is me that they're talking about. And yes. um, how do you wrestle with that? Yeah, I mean, I feel, again, uh, I'm glad you prefaced it with because I think the most important, like for me, I feel so blessed to have, have even like have loving parents who weren't overtly trans, I mean, who aren't like transphobic and who accept me and, understand me and aren't hateful towards trans people in general and especially to me um but you're right i mean like oh and also i feel very lucky to live in you know brooklyn and among all these like alt musicians and artists who a lot of whom are gay or trans um that's a very specific experience that i mean i also do get street harassed and new york is really dangerous and it's also a lot of the places where there are hubs of safe or uh, hubs of like gender variant people and art communities of queer people, queer scene, um, especially when there is that much exposure, like uh, there's also often a proportional amount of retaliatory like um, aggression. So in that way, it, it, it is feels so even, even dangerous. So even in Brooklyn, even in New yeah. York, you'll experience that. However, I'll get, it's, you know, I'll get thought bubbled a little like with, I'll forget that in other places it's not normal for me to see thought, so many of, or sorry, get like caught in a thought, or like an echo chamber where oh, I'm right, like right. with uh, people of my ilk who I feel um, loving of and who are in support of me um, and that I, there's a wealth of that around me. That's not like what it was like where I grew up in Phoenix. That's not like where it's like in even worse places. Um, and so... To have that can kind of like put you in an echo. I don't want to say put you in a, an echo chamber. I just mean like sometimes I forget that without that, I and a bunch of other people are so much less happy and so much less safe. So um, yeah, I mean recognizing that like it's really scary to express to like not hide yourself, <laughs> like and that's the tyranny of that. Just like psychologically of what that does to little gay and trans people is really devastating. Um, and I think that it's extremely important that in response we strive to protect them and like uh not i don't know vote for legislation that further endangers children and so many people from um and and limits their ability to 
live a safe life and express themselves whatsoever. Um, it's kind of like, here's the door, it's like, here's the closet, is your only option. It's really sad in the last few years, especially like how much has happened and how much le legislation has been passed or revoked, uh, you know, providing rights to like trans people. I think especially again, like I spoke about when I was a kid, not even having the awareness of what HRT or transition or what a trans person was because we, at that point, I feel like we're kind of culturally trying to just erase them from existence in a way uh, that has obviously shifted a lot. And now we're very visible in a lot of scenes. Um, so I think that that it's really important to have community and other queer people in the way that I feel kind of, I forget sometimes because I'm with so many loved ones, a lot, so many queer loved ones. I'm so, you, it's so normalized for me seeing us on the street and on the subway every day in a way that has been really life-changing for me, but almost nobody else has. Like it's right. only in these like queer or a lot of big cities, a lot of pop and art um, communities because everywhere else we're hiding because we have to. Um, so I feel very lucky and I think it's so important that kids and people who are trans like know that there's there's right. spaces out there for them. I had a really interesting experience a couple of weeks ago. Jacqueline and I went to Lancaster to hear some music. Um, full disclosure, it was Air Supply. Uh, Air Supply? Air Supply, the band. Oh, uh, I don't know them. Oh, yeah. That sounds Are they good? Well, Air Supply are 70s, soft rock, romantic songs. Ooh, cool. Their biggest hit, you have definitely heard All oh. Out of Love. All Out of Love. I'm so lost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Air Supply. Okay, okay. That's so, so oh, cool. um, Jacqueline's always been, uh, she loves that kind of 70s soft rock. Oh, and did you cry? We went to an Air Supply oh. concert in Israel together, and I was like, I'm not going. And she said, Come on, go, have a great time. I had so much fun, and I loved it. So then she was like, wow, Air Supply's coming, so and they're playing in Lancaster. Now, if you live in Southern California, you know Lancaster is about an hour outside of LA. And mm -hmm. it's in a more agricultural kind of a rural area, mm -hmm. and there are you know there are more than two Californias, but there are definitely two Californias where you've got you know like the Bay Area yeah. and Los Angeles and like mm -hmm. you know West Hollywood and places where there's you know a trans scene and an LGBTQ plus yes. uh, scene and and alt music and all that stuff. Right. And then you go an hour outside of LA, and it's like Red America, right? Yeah. So yeah. we were going to this. Uh, you know, to this concert, and you know, like mentally, I sort of had this image that I think was unfair. That you know, okay, Lancaster, you know, this probably isn't a place to wear your yarmulke out. You know, this probably isn't a place to ask about. You know, where's the local synagogue? Yeah. But we sit down to have um, a bite to eat before the show, and at the table next door, I couldn't help but overhear because they were kind of talking loudly. But there was this whole conversation. One of the people at the table was a trans woman, and she was talking about being trans in Lancaster and like how accepting it's been for her and what a great community it is. Yes. And and they're just having the, and it was like we were sitting outside and it, I just smiled because I was like first of all I felt a little um, ashamed that like I had brought an assumption about what this community might be like and I grew up in a red state I grew up in Omaha you know so like I had this but that was a long long time ago and I had this kind of mm -hmm. assumption of what that would be like but in places like Omaha today in places like Phoenix today you know no it's not um, you know it's not Williamsburg Brooklyn but it there's all sorts of things happening yeah, you know yeah. So I think Omaha's that, sick too. 
There's a lot. Yeah, there's a great lot music stuff. scene. One and of the a... best music scenes, like especially yeah. for East Coast musicians, like and my friends and colleagues, like that. The, the scene there is like a really influential one. Saddle, Saddle Creek, Creek Records. Yeah, and, yeah. But you think about those things, you'd be sort of, um, you know, pleasantly surprised. You know. Yeah. One, one, and I know in a, in a minute, uh, Veronica has to get on a Lyft or an Uber and go to LAX and fly back to. Uh, New York, but I was wondering, has there been a moment where, you know, someone you grew up with who maybe didn't understand and wasn't mm. so accepting, mm. but over time, because of your friendship, there was a change, you know, and all of a sudden they were like, Ronnie, I thank you, you know, and I don't know if that's ever happened to you, yeah, but you know, because of you, or even that you just noticed it, that like yeah, all of a sudden there was kind of an opening and it went from, sure. you know, like you're other, you're weird, you're different, and I don't really accept that. To, to um, oh, uh, we can be friends again, or something like that. Is yeah, that is anything like that happen? I lo that's a really intriguing question. I think that it's difficult because a lot of times people who felt that way about me were not safe for me to be around anyway, emotionally or otherwise. Like just couldn't, um, you know, a lot of us just like can't be around cis happy or you know like hetero people who bully us for being gay when we're kids. But I do think that maybe from afar, like you said, like noticing it, definitely not had the moment verbally, but maybe noticing like people suddenly, well, I don't know what it is, is that when you become an adult in 2022 after being, you know, growing up in the 2000s as a gay kid or whatever, or trans person, like um, a lot of those people now think we're the shit and really cool because they like got really into art or like have, and that's great. I mean, I don't mean to belittle it. I mean, or, they, or maybe, or and it could be that, <laughs> and maybe they've grown. They're like, yeah, oh, exactly. my like, 12 year old self, I was a jerk. Yeah, I, I was can't a, believe, right. I could be a jerk. I probably right. called some girl a B-I-T-C-H when I was 10, you know, like I get it. You know, anyone listening to this, if you bullied me for being an FAG when I was a child, um, I forgive you if you've grown since then. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, no, and I think it happens all the time because when you're a little kid, my you... listener, my listenership is huge. By the way, oh my god, so sorry, there's I should... a lot of no, okay, but there, I'm just wondering, like, wouldn't it be great if, like, randomly, <laughs> someone in Phoenix came across "Search for Me" yeah. with Rabbi Yoshi, and featuring. And forgive heard them, them, and heard me forgive them, Ernest, and, and heart felt to them, and was like, you know what? And then they wanted to like reach out, and I was uh, like, I want to reach out. I'll tell sorry, you. Sorry, my inbox is full, but please, uh, please enjoy your day. Um, I I grew up in a time in in Omaha where you know on the playground we would call each other FAGs, and that was just like what you would call just, people. Yeah, sure, and sure. and then going off to college, With the and then kid, white kids in America and then, in two thousand. That I don't remember because rap. I was pre-rap, so like that didn't ha that I don't have any re recall of, but yeah. definitely was, FAG. Yeah, and then going to college and looking back on that and being like, oh my god, yeah, and that I'm was sure in the you, yeah. that was in the nineteen you know late 1980s and early 1990s and then going to rabbinical school and you know in college but also in rabbinical school yeah. having dear friends um in the lgbtq plus community and and because then you were kidding and then being like oh i'm a rabbi who performs weddings for lgbtq plus yeah, individuals and, and, but i'm just saying like that journey yeah. right from from you know eight year my eight-year-old self yeah. Just kind of accepting what the conventional wisdom was at that yeah. moment, because you had and no like reason Archie to. Bunker and that kind of stuff, and then yeah. 
and then living at a different time. But the it's part what that's, you learn. It's what us young people socialize as young boys. That's what you learn. It's right. so sad. Even if it's not super, even if you don't have super hateful parents, no, anywhere on the spectrum you fall as like a person being raised as a young boy, it's still coming through this, like the sieve socially that you should hate the, the you know, just be really hateful, hyper-masculine and like that these people are worth less than you because they're, weird and deviant, even perverse, or just stupid and obnoxious, or sinful, or uh, unholy, you know, like, that's what we're, I was told that too, not by my parents, who are cool Jewish liberals, even then, society is telling you right. this, like, and also that you're much safer if you distance yourself from them, so even if you're not one of them, if you're a young boy, definitely use the F word, and, and you know, like, don't get close to a gay man. Don't right. uh, befriend a gay guy. If one of your friends turns out to be gay, he must abscond. Like you must, uh, you can't permit right. permit right. him to be in your friend group anymore. And so all of that is like. And then you, as a good person, who also you know, good people also having like the the community around you to teach you and steer you the right way, as we did, as like you know, with loving families who were educated and who. Uh, didn't want to make, turn us into these little mask robots, uh, like just assassinating them, everyone else. Um, I think like we could steer clear of that. I had that moment, as you did. For me, like I said, it was the like I don't know. I remember being a kid and just like kids in my middle school were just saying the n word, and that was like our equivalent of that, or also the f word with boys. I'm sure my age. Um, and yeah, I think like it's really important to allow yourself to grow and like. Uh, recognize that and then you can see since we've been through that then we can see in other people how that could that's right. a possibility for them obviously it's different depending on right. your background but we well, can that's, make why it happen. That, yeah. that's why I asked that question because I think um, and hopefully you're only uh, 24 years three old, 23 years old mm -hmm. um, so hopefully in the in the fullness of time there will be those moments where someone who was um, unkind to you mm -hmm. you know your nine-year-old self and called you that name and distance themselves from you for whatever reason because that's what they had internalized from their outside culture. Their parents had said that kind of thing. Sure. Their own confusion about their own sexuality and their own gender, whatever sure. it is. But hopefully you will yeah. have those moments where they come back at, at a show when you, uh, I know you're DIY, but you're gonna like, no, you're gonna be we're, selling out. We're breaking out, we're selling out as and people. Not as selling as, out <laughs> no, we as an act, but you will be selling out Madison Square Garden. After the DIY and, scene, I'm going big. And they'll be waiting at the stage door and they'll <laughs> yell out, you know, Veronica, Ronnie. And then it'll be like, remember, we were in third grade together and and I've grown so much, you know, cause right. I've, I've yeah, seen yeah. those moments and I'm hopeful for those moments. and. And one of the reasons they happen um, all the time. A few years ago, I got an email from a friend. I can't remember, you know, what the subject was. It didn't matter. But then, at his signature, it, he included his pronouns, and it was he, him, his, or he, his, him. And I was like, why, why don't I have my pronouns on my signature? Because you know, maybe I should. Because then. Maybe there's someone at the temple who works here or a member who too. just feels like, oh, okay, I can use, I can share my pronouns. And so yeah. I added that to my signature and it wasn't because I was trying to make some big statement, but it was, I just felt like okay. this is the smallest gesture. I mean, literally changing your signature on email takes about 10 seconds. So I was like, and so, people could be like, oh, so then maybe someone else, yeah. yeah, maybe someone else would sure. say, Oh, good. That's permission. So my own feeling about those things are like, if, if, if our job is to, it says in the, 
um, our tradition, it says the person who gives kavod to others is a person who's worthy of kavod. And there's another teaching in, mm. in Pirkei Avot, respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another teaching in Pirkei Avot, it says, Yehi kavod chavercha chaviv alecha kishelcha, that uh, the dignity of the other should be as dear to you as your own dignity. Mm-hmm. So then it's sort of like, to me, that was just like, uh, there's another Hebrew expression, ha'asimon nafal, which people don't use anymore. It means, it means um, you know, it's like a eureka moment or, or a moment mm-hmm. of, of understanding where it was like, you know, th- these small gestures of inclusion can help protect the dignity of another person at basically, you know, zero cost to me. Why right. wouldn't I want to extend that? And why wouldn't I want, you know, to demand the same in return? So... Uh, what I'm excited about the moment that we're in is is your eight-year-old self probably couldn't have imagined a moment where you could live the life you're living as freely as you're living. It was not sci-fi. With, not without, you know, there's, there's still homophobia, there's still transphobia. Yeah. I'm not pretending that, like, we've solved it all. But, but that you can be so who you yet. are in a way that you might not have imagined. To me, that's totally really exciting and redemptive, and I just hope that... You know, your 40-year-old self will look back and say, yeah. wow, and look how much I, more I wonder, we've, man, we've done. Can you imagine the progress? It's so exponential. I mean, like, yeah, it's crazy to think socially what the advancements will be. Like, there's technological ones, and then there's also, like, social ones where you can be a person who suddenly is deserving of respect or, you know, who knows where the wind might take us. But it's pretty crazy to think about the leaps and bounds, like, of... Even just the fact that I didn't know what a trans person was when I was a child. So you're right. I mean, 20 years from that, if if 20 years from now, I or 15 years from now, I didn't. That was my experience. Imagine what the experience of an eight-year-old in 2042 will be. You know. Um, but yeah, beautiful to hope for that. Ronnie, thank you so much. I know you've thank got to get to the airport, so but I just want you to know thank how you more much. much we have enjoyed, uh, Jack and I have enjoyed your oh, visit. And what's fun for me with it. all of my so um, nieces and nephews is now that you're all getting to those ages where I can get to know you as adults. Mm, um, it's yeah. really fun because our age range is Nomi is the youngest of uh-huh. all the cousins and she's 19. Uh-huh. And I think Grace is 29. Yeah. And so in that 10 year span, the whole I've track. got these, uh, there's nine of you and then, and then Jacqueline's um, on Jacqueline's side, uh, thank goodness, I have more nieces and nephews um, whom I'm getting to know in the, that same way, and it's just a beautiful thing, so thank you. Oh my God, it's been beautiful staying here. I love you guys so much. I'm so glad you wanted to have me on your podcast. Uh, I will miss you guys, and I don't want to leave this beautiful home. See you in New York. See, see you in New York. Okay. Good day. Well, that's our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I want to thank my guest, Veronica Zweibach, for sharing her music and her story and her journey. I'm also grateful to our producer, Ryan Gorsi, our editor, Raz Husseini. Our theme song was composed by David Cates and myself and features a vocal from Josh Goldberg. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to Search for Meaning. Share it with a friend. Maybe they'll like it as well. Stay healthy, stay hopeful, and stay tuned.